The Mac Observer is Mac Geek Gab number 196 for September 20, <laughs> September, Saturday, March 28th, 2009. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observers, Mac Geek Cab. You know, John, I, uh, I'm Dave Hamilton, of course. That's uh, yeah, John Braun yeah, yeah. On, on the other end there. Yeah. You're kind of out of sorts there. Well, I, you know, I looked at the date real quick because uh, I wanted to make sure I had the date right. And I saw Saturday, March 28th, 2009. I thought that's fine. And then, you know, I just said September because I had like date and S in my head. And, mm. you know, yeah. No, I don't. But... Okay, good. Perfect then. Yeah. And there's, right this big, then. there's this big bright thing outside that hurts my eyes. You know, I wouldn't know. I, I'm in the studio. And, and since I had band practice here earlier this week. Uh, with fling, we have the uh, the window inserts in, so it's pitch black in here if the lights are off. But they're not okay. because I want to be able to do the show, so I, I turn the lights on. It is Saturday afternoon. Uh, we are doing a second show in four days because John, you are leaving tomorrow, I believe, for yes. uh, uh, Winslow, Arizona, or something, right? Uh, I think it's Phoenix. Phoenix. Oh, that's right. That's the Eagles song. I, I keep getting confused. Yeah, going to uh, something called the Vision Show, which is uh, for people that are interested in cameras and imaging and image processing and all that sort of thing. Going to uh, some classes, going to learn about you know fascinating subjects like uh, real-time acquisition uh, of images. Cool. Fun stuff, or at least to me it is as a, as a software type of guy. So, yeah. And uh, it looks like it, it'll be like in the 80s, so a little bit of a difference from the East Coast. But, uh, oh, that's a, yeah, that's, that's quite a bit of a difference. Yeah. That's good. All right, man. What do we got? Uh, you know, so I, I wanted to talk about this last time, but uh, with w- the way my throat was, and it's it's not 100%, but obviously way, way better today. Uh, it, I wanted to, uh, I, I did a service call. I, I went out. Um, it's been uh, probably three or four years since I've gone out into the field and, and actually applied my Mac skills for hire, if you will. Um, and Jeff Lynch, who runs Mac About Town, dot com over there in uh in maine uh he has a couple of clients here in my town and and the poor guy wrecked his car in a snowstorm on the way to one of his clients uh that, that was not too far from me and then and then he left for vacation the next day and so he asked me if i would go and help this woman with her printer so this is an interesting thing john he had remote accessed in and uh, she called him and said i print nothing comes out of the printer okay fine uh, so he had remote accessed in. He looked in the print queue. Now it's a network printer. She's on an airport network, you know, uh, but he uh, he went in and he uh, saw that the printer was, you know, uh, there was a billion things in the queue. So he deleted the printer from remote, went into, you know, the ad printer utility or, you know, pr- printer and fax setup or whatever and system preferences, uh, added the printer and printed. And the document went to the queue, sat there for a second and then went away. And so he thought, great, everything's good. And she went and checked the printer and swore that nothing came out of it. And there were no lights blinking and there was paper in it and everything was fine and power cycle everything and it still does it all. Hmm. Yeah. And so that's when he decided he needed to be on site. And, you know, long story short, I was on site. So I'm sitting there working with her and I go out and I see the printer and I thought, well, let me just let me do the same thing he did. And and so I went and I added I didn't delete the existing instance of the printer, but I went out on the network, found 
she has an office at 7,400. And so I was like, okay, fine. I went and added the printer. I printed to it. Document came out just fine. Now I know Jeff's not an idiot, right? And I also know from consulting uh, for years and years that when there's a problem like this, that is magically solved in about 30 seconds, it's usually deeper than just the simple fix that, uh, that appeared to be there. And the one thing that didn't make sense to me was, you know, when you see a printer in Bonjour, uh, it usually has an ID and it's like a six character, you know, two, one, seven, uh, E seven, three or something, you know, some little yeah, ID out there, like right. the Mac address or, or something. Yeah. Some usually right. it's, it's part of the Mac address usually. Okay. Oh, is that what it is? Okay. All right. Well, that, some, some printers I've seen, they'll default to something that, that I done a, yeah, and okay. that, that's the easiest piece of info to get to make sure you don't have a collision. Right? A, a collision, right. And so the one thing was, you know, the printer that was out there that Jeff had, that presumably, you know, believing Jeff's story, and there was no reason not to, uh, that he had added from remote had a different ID. And so I asked this woman, you know, and, and one thing I found when I, when I did a lot of consulting, John, was that yeah. it's invest, it, it's like you're like a detective a lot of times. You know, there, there's a lot of times where the user will say, you know, I don't know. I didn't do anything. And then, boom, you know, it stopped working. And I don't know why, you know, this computer is crazy. Right. You and I both know that that when people say that they lie, they did something. They did they something. They don't know what they did. They anyway. don't know what they did. Exactly. So so I got back, right back into detective mode, you know, and so I'm asking this woman questions. OK, did you replace the printer? You know, I, I knew something wasn't right. And the last thing I wanted to do, even though it was working, the last thing I wanted to do was leave and then, you know, have her call me 20 minutes later and say, uh, you know, it's not working again. Right. So and I knew that that's what would happen. So it was worth, you know, in, in investing 30 minutes in, in this solution. I was going to charge her for an hour minimum anyway. So, it, it, you know, uh, she might as well get her money's worth and actually get a solution out of this. If 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 there was one, yeah, you know, you don't want to spend eight hours in in in, you know, Clouseau mode. But, uh, you know, 30 or 40 minutes trying to figure out why something happened so that it mm -hmm. doesn't happen again is is in my experience well worth it. So I'm digging through and I just can't figure it out. And, you know, the I name. Can't. Go ahead. No, I'll let you go. I, th I think I know what it is. All right. Well, uh, it, 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 you can you can write your answer down and seal it in an envelope. And then and then when I'm I tell doing you that right now. OK, good. Excellent. Uh, so, you know, I, I go through and then at one point she's like in the house doing other things or whatever. And uh, and at one point she comes over. And she's like, you know, while you're here, if you could every now and then uh, my computer jumps on my neighbor's wireless network. <laughs> and um, uh, OK, I was going to ask you if this person had a neighbor. All right. <laughs> yep. You, you can imagine what I wrote down then. OK, yep. so um, yep. but, but, but continue. Yep. And so I said, oh, OK, this explains it. So I go up and I, I look and sure enough, there's a second wireless network that appears in her airport menu. And so I go down, you know, I choose that network and then open up the the uh, printer's setup utility. And sure enough, this other printer appears. Now, she has an OfficeJet 7400. Her neighbor has an OfficeJet Pro 7500. So very similar, especially when you're logged in from remote, you know, and, and you simply don't know how you're getting there. And, uh, and so I, I said, okay, now we've, you know, isolated the problem. I went back into her uh, system preferences uh, to the network into, into airport. And I removed her neighbor's wireless, uh, network from the preferred list so it wouldn't automatically choose it i explained to her look you know here's what happened she understood 
this is the problem. Don't let it choose this wireless network. You're going to be fine. And and then mm-hmm. I and then I did what I always learned to do, which was I stand up, remove my hands from the keyboard, reboot the machine, make her sit down, go through it, print everything work. Yes. Okay. Yes. Good. Excellent. So. And as a bonus, you could have gone to the neighbors and explained to them why they were getting these odd printouts. Well, you know, that was the funny thing. I said, you know, you, you're all your test pages are over at the neighbors. And, and, and since I haven't divulged the client's name, I can I can say this. Uh, she said, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. The neighbor's going to be upset about that. And I said, oh, are they, yeah. you know, and she said, well, but they're not home and I know how to get into their house. So I'll just go over and get it. <laughs> OK, now, right. maybe the neighbor should you know, kind of lock down their uh, their network a little bit. That would actually be very helpful. Yeah, actually, yeah. If the neighbor had a password on it, um, it would have, you know, again, if only Woody had gone to the police. Um, mm-hmm. Though she may not want to do this because now if, if her connection screws up, she, she has a reliable backup. That's right. Uh, connection to surf and print. And print. That's and right. She really needs to print. That's right. And she know, and apparently she knows how to get in the house. So if she can go remove all the test pages, she can remove uh, the real thing, too. That's bad because, you know, I, I forget the, uh, the the command. I'll find it. But there is a way to search Google. And there are people like it sounds like this is one, one case that, that has a printer that's accessible to the Internet. and They don't know it. And there's certain things you can oh. search for. If you have a TCP IP printer, the, well, the, this, you know, this goes printer IP. isn't connected to the isn't accessible from the Internet. Right. I mean, you've got to be connected internally to her wireless network to get to it. But yeah. OK, well, there's a potential. But yeah, you'd have to work hard to intentionally ship. But, but I have seen, you know, TCP IP printers yep. where you can Google for a certain string and it, you know, it looks for, I guess, whatever the printer displays. If you connect to it and you don't provide a password, it's right. just out of the box. Right. Which, uh, yeah, it's kind of funny that so many people have that. What's another one? Uh, well, it's not secret, but there are also IP-based webcams where if you search for a certain string, like the model number of the camera or something, or the oh, you right. know the the name of the server. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting things out there. So, so um, you know, when I, I was down in Austin last week for South by Southwest, and one of my old, old, old she's not old, but but our our client uh, consultant relationship is old. Uh, emailed me and said, you know, I'm having this thing. I know you, you know, you don't do a whole lot of this anymore, but you know, if you can help me over email, that'd, that'd be great. And, uh, and she was having some issues with her Mac and I said, you know, it's actually funny. You, you email me, I'm in town and I, I've got some time. And, and so, you know, that, that Saturday morning or whatever, I, I went over and saw her and I was reminded of yet another very valuable lesson that I had learned. Now, uh, I was only reminded of it. This did not happen with her. It happened. I was I I learned the lesson probably back in 1995 or 96 when I sat down with a client and she was having some problems with her photo management software. And this was on a Windows machine back then. Um, But as I was going through this, this woman's photos on on her Mac here, I I remembered that I have a question that I always ask people before I open their their photo management software with them. And that is, are there any photos in here that we're going to stumble upon? that are going to be uncomfortable for us to view together <laughs> because uh, and, and, and I opened this woman's photos up and, uh, you know, uh, last weekend and, 
It was fine. She didn't have any of those, but uh, but she and I had a laugh. I said, "Gosh, you know, it's been a while. I'm a little out of practice." I opened I opened up iPhoto without asking you uh, that question, and 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 we had a chuckle about it. And I explained to her that uh, I'd seen some photos that I really didn't choose. Uh, I would never have chosen to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it just wasn't good. Well, you so. know, I had that happen once too. I think you had you had uh, hooked me up with someone because you weren't in the area to, okay. to do some consulting, and it was a. Uh, tutoring, tutoring someone on uh, some programming and all that. Yep. But at one point, I was on 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 the machine in question, and uh, I think I clicked. It was a Windows machine. I think I clicked on uh, recent documents. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All I can say is they had a nice, healthy young man there. <laughs> so that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> oh, yeah. Man. So, so for you, I think I mentioned it to him. I'm like, by the way, um, yeah, you know, if your parents uh, see that, they're well, I don't know. Yeah. So for you consultants out there, it's it. I, I, I always learned to ask that question. And there were a couple of times where people said, you know what? Actually, that's a good question. And, you know, it was clear that, that we were having a conversation with a with a white elephant in the room. So. Uh, so anyway, yeah. that, that's where we are. Shall we uh, should we move on to uh, Alan's question, John? Yes. All right. Then, Alan, it is. Yeah. Hi, John and Dave. Uh, my name is Alan, and I'm having a problem with uh, Firefox. Um. I was working on uh, doing a, a movie, uh, and I was putting the movie on uh, on a DVD. And I went to open the internet, and um, I couldn't. It wouldn't open. Uh, I hit it from the uh, from the dock. It wouldn't go. I went into the applications folder and tried it from there, and it wouldn't go. It just doesn't open. It just goes away. And so I started looking around on the internet, and I really didn't come up with much. So I just uninstalled the whole thing, reinstalled it, and still no luck. So I don't know where to go right now. I'm using uh, Safari, but I'd really like to go back to uh, using Firefox, but I can't seem to do anything with it right now. I've I've gone through a bunch of the different steps, uh, uh, going through the you know getting the profile manager and all that stuff. And uh, I've had no luck. So um, anyway, I'm working on an iMac uh, with uh, the latest uh, information, 10.5.6. It's Safari 3.0.7. And um, uh, maybe you guys could uh, give me some information. Um, Thank you very much. All right. Uh, Yeah, interesting interesting issue. I've seen this before, actually, John. And... I think I think all it is is that his Firefox profile uh, is damaged. Now, the the way to test this would be to create a new user account uh, or use that test user account that you remembered to create that we uh, that we mm-hmm. often advise. Right. Yeah. And and launch Firefox there. My guess is it's going to launch just fine. Um, but what you can do is go into your home folder, go into library, go into application support. Go into Firefox and inside the profiles folder there, you will see one or more directories that whose name is gibberish. I mean, it's just some big, long string of characters. Um, If there's multiples out here you're going to have to remove them all or or perhaps just remove one by one and see which one of those profiles is the one that you're using and remove it. Um, Just move it to the desktop and then launch Firefox. Make sure Firefox is quit first. Move the profile out uh, and then and then launch it. You will start up with something blank. Now, you probably will want your bookmarks.html 
uh, file, which is inside that that gibberish folder, the easiest way to save it uh, is to launch Firefox without the profile in there, get it up and running, then quit. Then back in that folder, you'll see yet another uh, gibberish folder inside. There will be the new bookmarks.html file with everything blank. Go and drag the one from the old folder that you saved on the desktop into uh, into the new one, and, and that should work just fine. If uh, huh. if that makes sense, you like that solution, yeah. John? Yeah. And no, uh, a couple other things. So at one point, I believe he said he uninstalled Firefox, which I would assume means r- delete the application yes. and re-download and then re-add yeah. the application. That's what I'm getting at. Now um, we, we talked about this a bit before, but mention it again is that often uh, just throwing away the app does not get rid of all the, the cruft right. that comes along with it. Right. Um, so I don't think he fully uninstalled it. If he had done that, he would have lost whatever he had except for his bookmarks, which he saved because you said to do that. Now, pray um, tell, uh, how would one go about uninstalling an app beyond simply just deleting the app? I'm glad you asked that question. And there's a number of options here. And then, then there are a few other things I, I bring up that may be the cause of his problems. Um, so one is to get something like App Zapper, which uh, I, I did a little write up on that a while ago. Yep. And they're also uh, that's a shareware alternative. I think it has the most features. There are some freebies that are less uh, do less things. Um, it will identify uh, all the places that an application has, uh, you know, stuff specific to it. So, for example, in the case of, um, you know, I drag Firefox over it. And it found stuff in library slash application support slash Firefox. Okay. Um, as you mentioned, library slash preferences and library slash caches are the three places that this app found uh, Firefox related stuff. Uh-huh. So you could poke into those manually and, and get rid of them. And then that'll truly erase, get rid of all traces of the app on, on the machine. So that's one tip. Um, let me see something else here. Oh, um, you may get, Every now and then, it's, it's useful to look in the console. Oh yeah. If app if apps get upset about something, they may put a line in the console saying why they got upset before they quit. And I, I suspect something like this, where you know it looks like it's launching and then it stops. Yep. Because uh, there could be something else corrupted on the machine. Who knows? Um, that that's maybe a system thing. Um. Yeah, I guess that's that's pretty much what I got there. Yeah, that's good. Or, stuff. or uh, permissions. You know, always check your permissions. Yeah. One one of. The, the profile file or something, the permissions may have been bad, and that, that could be another reason. So, T- Typically, if you've got a permissions problem, uh, your advice of looking in the console will highlight that. Uh, I've seen, you know, where, where it'll say, uh, you know, cannot read this file or cannot open this file or, or you know, cannot write to yep. this file or something like that. Yep. Yep. And console is in your utilities folder. Applications, utilities. That's right. Okay, cool, uh, Steve, or uh, something else. Uh, you know what? Let's uh, let's talk about our our first sponsor for for today, and that is uh, Audio Engine USA at AudioEngineUSA.com. Their W two, which is their iPod or iPhone wireless adapter, what it does is it plugs into the dock connector on the bottom of your iPod or iPhone, and it wirelessly sends your music signal, digital music signal coming out of the dock connector uh, over to a little receiver that you that comes with it that you plug into your speakers or into your uh, stereo system or however you like to uh, to do this. And the cool part is it's totally solid connection, full quality, and it allows you to control your music from your iPod or iPhone, essentially like a remote control, but it's not really remote because that's actually what's playing the music. 
And uh, so you get this high quality audio from your iPod wirelessly sent out to your speakers and uh, and and there's no there's no configuration or setup or anything other than plugging the stuff in. That's it. Uh, so check it out. AudioEngineUSA.com. It's one hundred and seventy bucks, one hundred and sixty nine dollars. Uh, they call it the dockless dock. Uh, it 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 uses a, a proprietary uh, wireless protocol that uh, that allows them to do this with almost no latency. So if you're watching a movie on your on your iPhone or iPod and having it come out of the speakers, uh, it, you're going to be able to have the sound in sync with the movie. I mean, there's there's some latency, right, John, because the you know, it would be impossible for there not to be. But it's so minimal that the human uh, the human brain can't detect it. So, yeah, I think cool it's, stuff. it's moving roughly at the speed of light, maybe a little slower. That's right. Slightly slower. Just a hair. So AudioEngineUSA.com. 169 bucks for the uh, audio engine w2 wireless ipod or iphone adapter so please check them out uh and if you're into it buy it and let us uh, let them know that you heard about it from us because uh we always appreciate yeah. it and they yeah. appreciate want, it too mm-hmm. go ahead john cool i want to know if light is a wave or a particle no let's move on wow <laughs> Are we going to start talking about the, uh, the, 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 the relative airspeed of unladen swallows? Mm-hmm. Uh, no. Okay, good. Uh, then we'll let Steve. Steve, save us. Good evening, gentlemen. My name's Steve, calling from England, uh, West Midlands. got a question which I hopefully will get answered in the podcast. I've um, been listening for a good couple of, uh, of years now and uh, really enjoy it especially when Dave disagrees with John and they try and be polite and kind of try and deal with situations and work it out. But I always sniggle in the background. It's quite funny. So you guys are doing a good job. Basically, what I'm looking for is a way of running OS 9 in an emulated environment with full access to hardware. Um, I, I do a lot of audio editing in Logic, and I've got a ton of disks with old Logic 4.8.1 songs, and I want to open them in Logic Studio 8. Well, when I try and do this, it's telling me to translate via Logic 6 or Logic 7, neither of which I've got. I kind of kept away from music for a couple of years and then went straight up to 7 and then to 8, and I've got rid of 7 now. I'm aware of VMware Fusion and VirtualBox. Is there an easy way I can do this without having to invest in an old like G4 Digital Audio 466 or something like that? Uh, any views you've got would be greatly appreciated. It'd be running on an older machine. It's a PowerPC 1.8 gigahertz uh, 17-inch iMac. So uh, I need something that's pretty... It's pretty good on resources. Um, okay, that's it. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, okay, so this is an interesting one. So I, I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll fight later. Okay, good. Uh, okay. So he's running on a PowerPC machine, which gives him uh, a certain amount of... Uh, a certain capability that, that we do not have in... Uh, it, with Intel machines, and that is a PowerPC machine has the ability to run OS 9 natively, right? OS 9 Until they ruined it. With Leopard. With 10.5. So 10.4 and earlier. Yep. And that, that was one thing that really upset me, uh, that, that made me want to almost not upgrade on my G5 here, is because I had one or two things. Like my, my, 
my all-time favorite is Easy Envelopes. That's such a nice thing. It was it it, oh, yeah. it was written like you know they updated it like ten years ago, but it worked and worked and worked and worked until ten point five. Now I just see a little line through it because it knows it's old and it says nope, can't do that anymore. That, so that's one thing I lost with the upgrade that that made me sad. But. Right. Huh. Well, they have a they have a free one that's a, a widget, uh, but the data I don't think uh, migrates to the new one. So, okay. but I should have had all that stuff in Address Book, anyways. That's right. Go on. That serves you right. Uh, I disagree. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I think the answer. I, I don't believe that machine is capable of booting OS nine natively. I think you have to boot uh, OS ten and then run OS nine in classic mode. Um, is that correct, John? I, I think I think that machine is too old, uh, too new, rather, to uh, to actually boot OS nine. Um, uh, yeah, I, I. All right, I don't know. Okay, it, it, at some point that that line was drawn. It, it, I think the answer here is install OS ten point four on a separate partition, and yeah. right, and then. And then just have that kind of as your your environment there. If the machine is old enough to boot OS nine natively, well, then that that solution is obvious. You just you know install OS nine on the separate partition. But assuming that it's not, um, then install OS ten point four, and uh, and then and then you'll be able to run classic and and you should be fine. Are we good? Are we good with that, John? Did we cover? I, I think so. Okay. It, it this is there. There there is an interesting conversation here. And uh, in that there is a way to run OS nine inside Leopard on Intel machines, what? and that and that way is is an emulator called Sheep Shaver. Now, for Steve, he doesn't need to run an emulator because he's already running a PowerPC chip. Uh, now, Steve could also run Sheep Shaver to get uh, OS nine running inside OS ten point five Leopard on his. Uh, a power PC machine, but it's not going to solve your problem because sheep shaver does not support USB firewire or SCSI. Uh, so there's no way to get access to your audio devices that way, but sheep shaver is actually pretty cool. And if you have some OS nine apps that you just need to run, uh, it does have some limited network access. I believe it can print to network printers. Um, so th there's some, you know, there's some interesting stuff and we've got some links that we can, we can put out there. There's, um, the best, the, there, there is an official home for sheep shaver, but the best resource that, that seems to be regularly updated is their Wikipedia page, which also points to, uh, a forum over at emaculation, uh, where people are constantly discussing sheep shaver. I mean, there were posts, I, I prepped the, the show yesterday and there were posts as of yesterday. So, um, you know, definitely an active community there, uh, of folks running sheep shaver. And I believe I can't remember the name of it. The, the, the name sheep shaver is a play on a, an a Apple two emulator for the Amiga, right? A Mac, yeah. a Mac, a Mac emulator for the Amiga called shape shifter. Um, so that that's why we have this funny name for the OS nine emulator called sheep shaver. That's funny. Is it like ha ha um, funny or just like you pointed it and say, well, that's, that's sort of funny. Yeah. Okay. And this is emulation versus virtualization because Correct. we're running one architecture or another. Now, you know, I've had this question posed to me, and I don't know if there's an answer to it mm -hmm. by, um, by some listeners and, uh, and tweeters and, and other people. Um, 
What if you want to run Intel code on a PowerPC machine? Well, we did that with Virtual PC, didn't we? Uh, That's exactly what Virtual PC did. Yeah, I haven't seen that though. It, it, something current. I don't know if that, that product's really still still out there. No, it's not. I think it's been end of life. Um, but but Virtual PC would not run Mac OS ten, to my knowledge. And that that's I'm sorry. I'm 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 talking Mac Intel apps yes, not on a Power PC Mac Mac. Right. Yeah. Because what they're starting to do right now, which is kind of annoying, and I found this with an app I recently got. In theory, a universal app has both the Intel and the PowerPC portion. What's right. happening is some developers are getting, um, uh, for whatever reason, are not delivering universal. And the first thing that I got that did not work was Call of Duty, I think it was 4, or, or one of the more recent ones. I ran the prior version on my PowerPC Mac, and then I get this, and it's like, sorry, I only run on Intel. I'm like, oh, man. Because the prior version ran fine. I mean, you know, I, I don't have the most powerful graphics card in here. It's probably got, you know, 128 megs or, or maybe even 64 VRAM. But but it ran the prior version okay. So right. so it kind of bothered me. There was, there was no possibility. It wouldn't even let me try to run it in like you know reduced performance mode. So that was disappointing. So if anybody wants to you know work on that, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my guess is though, don't expect a lot of help from Apple. Uh, because no, I think they have an agenda of uh, yeah. <laughs> running Intel apps on Intel on chips. Intel machines. That's right. Yeah, that, that's sort of their goal. Uh, so Alan and Steve both called in, John. Let's uh, let's make sure everybody knows how to call in. Or we could just sit yeah. here and, and allow some for some awkward silence while people fill it in themselves. Should we do that instead? Um, two oh six 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 geek, which is four three three five. And that leads right into feedback at macgeekgab.com and you can send your questions text audio you can even send like pictures if you want to do maybe like a venn diagram to uh to illustrate your your question you think you know actually um we had one person actually send us a video question which is outstanding because it really helped us understand the issue um that's true now you know actually for a lot of these things yeah if it sometimes it's not clear to us like we have a question coming up or, or it's not entirely clear how things are arranged especially when we're talking about networking and stuff a diagram does wonders and also may help you figure out i mean when you when you force yourself to actually draw all the connections and look and, and see what wires go into what you may solve the problem yourself there's that so diagrams are uh, diagrams would be nice um, or you could just talk and we'll try to visualize it ourselves. yeah we'll figure it out or, or we'll misinterpret it into a completely different question, as we almost did with Steve's. Uh, but you didn't know that until we said it. And, uh, and, and get, just get ready to answer something that you didn't ask, but, uh, but that might be valuable to somebody else. So, you know, consider it like a public service uh, that you're doing for everyone when, uh, when we don't necessarily answer your question, but perhaps enlighten someone else. All right. Uh, Robert. 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 Dave, it is Robert from the Jersey Shore. I am calling because I have a recent problem. I just recently updated uh, to iTunes 8. I skipped actually 8 and went directly to 8.0.1. And since I done did this, after I was completed doing this, I should say, uh, all of my artwork is disheveled, misplaced, and incorrect. Now... It wouldn't be 
too big of a problem if I didn't have 18,000 plus songs to, uh, to deal with. Of course, I could go out and buy something like uh, Cover Flow or not Cover Flow, Cover, Cover Scout and, uh, and uh, have it fix this all for me. Uh, but was wondering if uh, you had any solutions to my dilemma. Anyway, um, pretty sure you know how to get in touch with me. We'll just get in touch with you here. How's that sound, Robert? Okay, he's not here to answer. That's right. But I know in in his car. He's there, out there. I saw him out there. Did you? That's good. Uh, uh, so yeah, it, iTunes stores its artwork in a folder. But the folder is organized in a couple different ways, and there's a cache in the folder, and uh, it, it's it's home, music, iTunes, art, album artwork. So you could try messing around in there and, and specifically going in and emptying the cache folder uh, and see if that fixes what you've got going on. Uh, I would quit iTunes first, go in, remove the cache folder. I would I wouldn't do this as a matter of course, but since you're having problems anyway, Robert, uh, this would be a good place to start. So quit iTunes, open it up, home, music, iTunes, album artwork, open up cash, take the contents, toss them in the trash, open it up, see if it gets better. It might just be a, a kind of a faulty cash. And if it rebuilds itself from the actual artwork, then you're OK. If that doesn't do it, um, the iTunes does have a way to clear all downloaded artwork. And what you do in iTunes, go to your library, do a select all. So highlight everything, uh, right click inside uh, one of the songs that's selected. And you'll see two out, two options there among, among the, the probably dozen options that you get. One is get album artwork and the other is clear downloaded artwork. So choose clear downloaded artwork that will clear it for everything and then while everything's still selected, choose get album artwork and that will go out and, and get all that stuff. But but if it's out there in in uh, and it's just the cash that's that's giving you trouble, that might that, that might solve it. I would uh, I would try that. You, ha- you have any other thoughts on that one? there? Um, yeah, you could use something like App Zapper and oh, throw away that. iTunes and <laughs> that may be a bit extreme. Yeah, you probably don't want to totally destroy it. Actually, I think something. Uh, yeah, that, that that's an app. I, I don't think it'll allow you to. Uh, throw away uh yeah it's kind of it kind of integrates with the os a little too closely i think if you got rid of all the parts of uh, itunes uh, or, or not true. i don't know yeah, but no your you yeah your, your advice uh yeah i guess it doesn't have you know i noticed that iphoto has a very nice cleanup mode i think if you hold down option and you launch iphoto it'll describe the various caches to delete i, I don't think itunes i think the only secret thing with itunes is that you can hold down i, I think it is option and it lets you select another library but i don't think it I don't think it really has a, a, the, none that I know of. If anybody knows any, you know, secret iTunes uh, launch uh, keyboard combinations that, that would do things like this, that, that maybe there are some we don't know about. Can you see that my hands in the air, John? And that I'm waving wildly and saying, "Ooh, ooh, 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 me, me, call on me." Uh, yeah, um, yes, you, you. Oh, me in the back here. Okay, great. Uh, I was going to save this until later in the show, but I'll say it now. Um, it doesn't really have to do with launching iTunes, other than. You know, I typically run on two monitors here in the office, and uh, I have iTunes on the on the larger of the two. So I have my laptop monitor and then a, a larger monitor, and iTunes usually sits on the larger one. And I got to Austin, and I went and launched iTunes, and my iTunes window was scrolling off the bottom of my screen. And 
I thought, well, cause that's cause it's, you know, now on my laptop and that that's just cause the last time I had it open, I had it, you know, real big. And so I clicked on the little green, uh, you know, button in the, in the menu bar or in the, uh, in the window. And it shrinks the iTunes window down to that little mini player thing that you get. It doesn't like yeah. auto resize. I thought, well, huh. that sort of stinks. And so then I hit it again and it went and it got too big again. Wow. This, okay. This isn't working. So then I went to the window menu and I chose zoom and that did exactly the same thing as hitting the little green globule there. And, uh, and though being a drummer, I, I do have affinity for, for green globules because it, it could be some brethren of mine. Uh, that's an old spinal tap joke, John, just in case, uh, it didn't really do me any good in this case. And, and so I started clicking all around and holding down the option button while hitting that green little globule there resizes. It actually zooms the iTunes window in a way that you would expect it to with any other app. Uh, so instead of shrinking it down to that little mini thing, it zooms it to the actual size of the screen, which in this case actually made nice. the window smaller. So that that's my, uh, I was gonna I was gonna mention that as part of our cool stuff found, but since you were asking, yeah, it wouldn't hurt. All right, yeah. Uh, what next? I think we should move to Jerry. I think you're right. Okay, good. Uh, then I have to find Jerry since we're jumping out of order here, and I'm not ready. I'm gonna probably yell and scream. Jerry says, "Hi, folks. I'm new to Mac and Airport Express. I have a Mac Mini at one end of the house, connected to a Linksys N router." wireless access point at the other end of the house is my office with an airport express and a usb printer attached both access points connect to the router in my office via cat 5 cable if i'm in the middle in the living room and connect to the airport express access point with a windows laptop i can print but if i connect to the Linksys access point i can't mac mini which connects to the Linksys, also can't print i just don't understand what's the problem any help is much appreciated Okay, so this is one of those. Uh, this is, the, I believe, the question you were alluding to, John. Where we're going to have to make an assumption here. I can't tell if Jerry has three routers. He's got the Linksys router, right? He's got and wireless the, access point. So it's it's both. It's both, right? So it's one device. He's got the Airport Express, and then it sounds like he's got a third router in the office. Uh, that everything connects to via Cat5, and then that connects to his uh, cable modem. Um, so it sounds like there's... That third, that third router connects to the cable modem. Right. Okay, that, yeah, and th that's why I made the comment earlier. That, that's the assumption we're going on here, because the, the way this is worded, it's, it's a bit unclear if there's two or three network devices, but, but we're going on the assumption there's three. And, and even if there's only two, Jerry, uh, our, our proposed solution is the same. Um, and, and I'll, I'll clarify that at the end if, uh, if, if it sounds like we've, we've gotten further from that. So go, go ahead, John, why don't you, why don't you take this one? Um, I'll offer, I'll offer some things here. Yeah. We can bounce this back and forth. So yeah. one thing for this troubleshooting process, which would help us figure out uh, how to proceed is on whatever device that you're connected to, uh, I'd be interested in what the IP addresses look like. Um, I'm suspecting that the IP address that comes from one wireless device and the ones that come from a device connected to the other, I'm going to suspect that they're coming up as different subnets. Makes sense. Uh, the reason I say that is because in the one case, you're able to access 
the USB printer connected to one of the wireless access points. But if you're connected to the other one, you can't see it. So what that's telling me is the two networks don't see each other. And you should be able, or, or, or it's, poss- it's certainly possible, to have this set up where two routers are plugged into yet another router. Um, the thing is, one of these devices has to be the boss and has to be handing out addresses. And I suspect that they're set up in a way where that's not happening, that the, the different ranges are being handed out, and, and that's isolating part of the network. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. And, and the reason is, by default, out of the box, all of these devices are set up to be the boss. And, and, and frankly, you, you want it that way, because in most situations, and I'll say most, although I think it's getting more and more common to have more than one wireless access point in your house. Um, but, but, you know, you, you definitely want the ability to pull something out of the box, plug it into your cable modem, and simply have it work. Um, but the issue here, just as just as you said, John, is that all three of these devices, or all two, if in fact that's all there are, uh, are trying to be the boss, and don't understand that there's another one or two sitting out there on the network. And this is and this is not dissimilar to the setup I have here, and I think you've got something similar at your place there, John, where. You have the one that's connected to the cable modem be the boss and then all the other ones be essentially slaves to that boss and and really just repeaters for that boss. The idea is the the boss router is going to be the the one that gets an address from the Internet and then shares that address with everybody else. And the other routers right now are getting an address not from the Internet but from the boss router and then sharing that one address with everyone else. When in fact they shouldn't be doing that. They should be letting anyone connected to them just pass through them and talk to the boss. And that way your printer, if it's, if your printer's hanging off one router and you're connected to another, well, if everyone that's connected to the routers is talking directly to the boss, then you're going to be able to see everybody else uh, regardless of what router they're connected to. Did I explain that well, John? Did I, did I get there? I understood it, but yeah. I don't know if that means that others did. Uh, well, I think what we said, we said in slightly different ways. So Yeah. And, and I think, yeah, the, the boss or the person handing out the, the addresses. Um, it, it, once you embrace that concept, then I think uh, that this is a, a problem that could be solved. That's right. And we've talked about this before. I, I, I specifically have not yet mentioned bridge mode because that's what we've that that's what that's how we've explained this before, because that's the terminology used in the routers. What you need to do is let the boss router do what it does by default, which is get an address from the Internet and share that one address to multiple computers. But if you have the, the other routers that are then connected there doing the same thing, you're isolating, as John said, bits and pieces of the network. Instead, you want to set those other routers in what's called bridge mode, which means that they're not sharing anything. All they're doing is passing traffic back and forth. They're they're simply, you know, a conduit, if you will, with no no real intelligence. Um, They'd be dumb. Yeah, they'd be dumb. There you go. That's right. Yeah. Uh, So with a with an airport uh, with the airport express, setting it into bridge mode it is very easy in that you go into airport setup, uh, you click on the wireless, uh, you click on the internet tab and 
you choose bridge mode from from the options there. That That's what they call it. And then you restart it and then boom, the router will still get its own address from the boss in this case. Uh, but it will not attempt to do any manipulation of the data that's passing back and forth. It will simply whoever's connected to it. It just says, yep, it, uh, you, you go talk to that guy. I don't know anything, you know. Uh, on the Linksys router, it's n- typically not spelled out quite that clearly. What you need to do is turn off the DHCP server in the router. Uh, you still want it to get its address via DHCP. So that's in the in the first part of the setup. But the second part, the second half of that setup window, when you go to your, your Linksys router, um, has... Uh, how it's going to distribute IP addresses and you don't want it to distribute IP addresses. Some routers uh, don't allow you to turn off the DHCP server. Instead, what they do is you're either in server mode or forwarder mode. And if you're in forwarder mode, it essentially is like having it turned off and you set it in forwarder mode and then it'll, it'll just pass that stuff back to the boss and it's doing what you want anyway. So uh, every, every router is a little bit different, but the idea is you want to turn off the DHCP server and the NAT and AT functionality in the router on Apple's stuff and on Linksys's stuff that happens simultaneously when you disable the, the DHCP server on the Linksys or put it into bridge mode on uh, on the on the airport. I, 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 I'm not sure how better to explain it, John. And and and, it, and in Jerry's case, it doesn't matter if there's two routers or three. The one that's connected to the cable modem, that's the boss, the, the one or more that are hung off of that make them dumb yeah right right you got you got, you got anything to add there john no I, the, clarity i think i think we've exhausted this topic. I, I think that we've yes there you go all right uh you know we've got some good tips to share a couple of cool things that were found if we uh if we get there but uh should we should we go to brett here john sure okay all right we're gonna we're gonna talk about uh ceremon Hey, John, Dave, this is Brett from Memphis. I was just listening to, uh, I think it was 194, but John was saying that he lost a channel in his earphones. Uh, I remember at one point he was using the Edemotix, which I also had a pair of, and I uh, lost a channel in there. It turned out it was as simple as a little filter that keeps the earwax, I know, kind of gross. Anyway, the earwax from uh, backing all the way up into the speaker mechanism inside there can get clogged. The set of earphones comes a little tool to replace that. Did it? And it works like a champ. So uh, that might be the problem with yours also. Good luck with those. Great show. Keep it up. Thanks, Brett. So, yeah, it, this does open a uh, an interesting topic of discussion. Yeah, and that wasn't it because, yeah, I, I have the little tool. And, no, it was not due to blockage. It was okay. just, yeah, the, the wire had, uh, had worn out. Oh, that'll do it. Yep, yep. Um, I, I have actually had exactly this problem in a couple of different ways. I use all sorts of different types of canal phones, both when, uh, and by canal phones, I mean earphones that go into your ear canal. Um, both when I podcast here, uh, I use the, the West tones, the UM twos. And then when I play live, I use a variety of different things. Last night I was using, and for the most part, I use the ultimate ears, uh, UE seven pro ambience. And if anybody's interested, I can explain why and how I use the ambience live, but that's not necessarily relevant to this conversation. Uh, and they do, they come with a little loop tool to clean out the, uh, the ceremony, if you will. And I've had, 
I've had a very similar situation where one ear just sounds like it's not working anymore. And you go in and you use the little loop. You got to be careful, but you know, you kind of uh, drag the, the stuff out of there and, and then it works much better. When I had a set of uh, Sensophonic, uh, had their, their soft earphones and one of them stopped working. Uh, what we weren't sure why it stopped working, but it was explained to me that one thing that can happen, this is very interesting, is that because of the heat, the earwax can actually can be in it, it can be in three forms like anything else. It can be a solid, a liquid or a gas and the heat. It can actually become gaseous and and float around inside there. And then, of course, when it cools down, uh, it, it turns back into a solid and it can, if you're not careful, um, it, too much of it can get, you know, way up inside there and then, and then you're done. So, uh, so it, it is worthwhile to take the time and use that little loop tool to, to clean that stuff out of there pretty regularly because you don't want it to get to the point where you've got a lot of it kind of sloshing around in there. Uh, even as a liquid, you know, if you get water inside your earphones, that's it. They're, you know, they're toast. So, yeah, or just buy a new pair. You know, stimulate the economy. Come on. Yeah, well, that that's true. Um, you know, at eight hundred bucks a pair for for the Sensophonics or even these UM twos, which are about six hundred, I'd, I'd prefer not to uh, to buy more than more than I need to. Okay, is that okay? I mean, is that mm-hmm. is that reasonable? Protecting my investment. Mm-hmm. All right. Dan has some has some hints. Hey guys, Dan Ogle from Los Angeles. Just listening to the podcast where you guys talked about pressing buttons in dialog boxes using keyboard shortcuts and wanted to offer one quick comment, um, something that I do multiple times a day, every single day. Um, in addition to using keyboard shortcuts based on the names, um, I actually more often will use, of course, the default shortcut, which is enter and return. I don't think you mentioned it, and I know that we all probably think that's insanely obvious uh, but maybe there's a couple people that listen that don't know that you can just press the enter button or return button. I thought they might use that. Um, personally, I've got tons of clients that never use that and will mouse over to the OK button and oftentimes miss it, and, and it's just painful. I'm sure you understand to watch them do that. Uh, the other thing, or the, the real tip that I was talking about was uh, if there's an alternate button that's glowing around the edges in the dialog box, so you've got a glowing button, uh, typically is the default, and that's enter, um, but a lot of times you'll have an alternate button that might be glowing around the edges. And that's, in my experience, always the space bar. So assuming you've got OK and cancel, depending on which one's default, when they're not always consistent on that, uh, one will be enter and one will probably be space bar. So it's just super, super quick. You don't have to think about the name of the button, assuming, and the letter that you need to type, assuming you don't screw up and pick the wrong button. Um, it's quick to press either the return or the space bar. And that was where you could cut me off. All right. That was where we cut you off. Uh, and I'm getting all sorts of John and I have our Skype internal here. Uh, so thank you, Dan. That that's, uh, that that's helpful. I don't know that I ever, I may have in, I may have intuitively known the space bar thing, but I am not sure I was ever actually I didn't know that. aware of that. Yeah. I'm not sure if I ever even used that. I, I'll have to I'll have to be more hyper aware of it now and and see if it's if it's the kind of thing I use because that's just what I need to operate that's what I need to do right more more brain cycles spent worrying about my mm-hmm. spacebar usage 
Just but but that's for you know for your benefit. That's good. Okay. All right. So should we do? Uh, should we do? Steve. Yeah, you want? Okay. All right. You wanna? Uh, you don't Steve, have to. Steve has a useful tip for our listeners regarding Safari. Uh, he says about two weeks ago, my two-year-old MacBook Pro started to act very sluggish and erratic. I was starting to have the spinning beach ball of death on a more regular basis, as well as applications that would crash unexpectedly. Also, the applications would be slow in switching context from one app to another. The entire machine seemed to be coming to a crawl. My first immediate step was to suspect a hardware error, either a faulty disk drive or bad memory. I ran Onyx and verified the drive was okay. Then I assumed it was memory. I had upgraded from two to four gigs several months ago and assumed one of the dims must be going bad. Couldn't find my original disk to run Apple's hardware test, so I downloaded Rember and ran a three-pass test on the memory. It all passed okay. After listening to your discussion in a recent show about the free space on the disk, I migrated some stale video files off my external hard drive and recovered to 26 gigs of free space on my 150 gig drive. That didn't help either. All this was done over a total of two weeks with about three to four hours involved in testing the system. I started to think I had a memory leak problem, so I tried to diagnose which application was causing the leak. The only major new application to the system was the Safari 4 beta. Assuming <sighs> this was the misbehaving application, I searched the internet and someone recommended to delete the plist files for Safari and its RSS feed for a similar problem. Bingo. The system is running back to normal and everything is running much faster. Do you know why this solved it? Uh, well, I'm going to assume. Uh, yes, you do. All right, go. Safari for beta screws things up. <laughs> well, but but in his case, after he he uh, removed these files, the Safari for beta is running fine. Mm. Uh-huh. Uh Uh. Okay, so well, something's on. Uh, yeah, the the yeah, the, the one that, problem, that file getting corrupted. The one problem is that he deleted uh, two files. Uh, the, 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 he deleted the plist files for Safari and for its RSS feed. Um, so we don't know which of those uh, solved it. If it was, I, I'm going to assume that Safari was likely running most of the time, or at least had run uh, on the system prior to it kind of getting bogged down. And if it's RSS feed file had gotten damaged or, or something along those lines, it it may have, there may be even a bug where it, you know, sort of spirals out of control. If that, if that RSS feed file um, has, hmm. has a, you know, maybe if it's got a bad entry in it, it's constantly retrying that. And, you know, maybe there's a memory leak and it slows it down and, uh, and who knows. Yeah. So this sounds, uh, and actually I did find the, uh, uh, you know, so I was shaking my fist at Safari 4 Beta. I right. did bring up the, uh, uh, we have a letter here from uh, Kent, and uh, Kent noticed um, Safari 4 Beta interfered with Picasa. Oh, isn't that interesting? Which is uh, uh, Google's, uh, uh, now here, here's more fun, it's also in beta as far as I know. Well, it's Google's software. It will be forever in beta, John. <laughs> <laughs> Some things get released in the wild, but um, that's how they roll. So, so this is even better. So you got Picasa beta and Safari four beta. So he found that, yeah, by removing um, Safari four beta, the Picasa beta worked uh, worked better. Interesting. Very interesting. 
I, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, it said here actually. Yeah, so what he saw is that the uh, the 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 dock icon would bounce for a couple times and then just stop. Oh, uh, that that's when you definitely want to run to the console and see what it's saying. Yeah, you know, because I'm I, sure it would complain about WebKit or something. Yeah, there's always something there when uh, when that happens. That's you know that that's a classic opportunity for for console digging. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, speaking of console digging, we have uh, our <laughs> afternoons ahead of us, and so I think it's time to wrap up the show, John. The band, pretty much, playing. yeah. yeah. Got to get packing, and uh, oh, that's right. Yeah, we're gonna fly out tomorrow. Yeah, I think I have a one one p.m. flight. Oh well, we expect the uh, obligatory. I'm traveling today, so I must Twitter obsessively. Uh, it's pretty much standard. I think it is because yeah. I know everybody's interested in, uh, in that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, you know. I... So well, some people are, some people aren't. You know, uh, yeah. Go ahead. I, 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 uh, I definitely am, am guilty of doing this. And whenever I travel, uh, you know, I, I always wind up, especially on the days that I'm actually traveling, uh, you know, via air, uh, air travel. I'm always twittering more than than normal, and uh, and I do see other people doing the same thing, of course. And sometimes I am interested and I'll, you know, send them little replies and, and that sort of thing. And other times it's just like noise in the stream. And so up it goes. But uh, but I don't think that should stop any of us from doing it, because I, I think that's why Twitter was invented, actually. Well, and it also gives you a, a, a way to release the frustration well, of having to go through security theater and just the, uh, you know, the, the train wreck that is the airline system. Oh, yeah, so, OK, so I'm curious on the last on five of the last six flights that I've taken, they have had the extra "quote unquote" random security at the gate, right? Where you have to represent. Well, here's the thing: uh, in all of those cases, all five of those cases, they've not bothered me in the least. They've just said, uh, "Whatever, go ahead, get on the plane," you know. And then they'll take like the guy behind me and search through his luggage and you know, strew his underwear all, all across the, uh, the you know the airport lounge. There is this JFK usually. No, I've had this happen at, let's see, Logan in Boston, um, Chicago, O'Hare, Austin, and uh, Fort Myers Airport. So it's been it's been all of those places um, where, where it's happened. Only oh, it's I've been in Chicago twice. Two, two of the last six times I've gotten on a plane has been in Chicago. It's happened only one once there. Everywhere else it's happened every time I've gotten on the plane. So I don't get it. And they say it's random, and I look at the other gates, and it's not there. So I'm curious uh, just to see how frequent you run into this, uh, because, it, you know, five out of six doesn't seem random to me. So I've... Unless that's how often they're doing I don't think I've it. ever... I think once I got enhanced uh, screening, like shortly after 9-11. I, yeah, I'm not know. talking about enhanced... Screening. Oh, the whole, you mean like the whole flight? Yeah. They put yeah. like extra, extra, oh. Yeah, uh, I'm not, I'm not, uh, so I go through security theater, right, you know, and, and, and get my computer and take it out and put it back in and go to take off my shoes and put my shoes back on and that whole mm-hmm. deal, right? <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, it's almost like doing a strip tease for them. It's just a little weird. But, but anyway, you know, we do it. And then, uh, and then, you know, I get to the gate and now it's time to board the plane. And now, you know, they will, oh, you know, I got to make that, that thing longer because uh, we just get to talking here. Um, we get to the gate. It's time to board. And they set up a table. You know, they've got like this, you know, cart on wheels. And there's usually three TSA agents there with the gloves on. 
And they, as people are boarding the plane, they randomly pick and they say, oh, you, we need to uh, see your ID and match it to your ticket. Uh, you, we need to go through all your, your bags. You, uh, huh. just get on the plane. Yeah, yeah. No, this is interesting. Yeah. So. I don't know. Whatever. Uh, in addition to calling 206-666-GEEK, which is John? Uh, 4335. And emailing John? Feedback at MacGeekUp.com. Or you can, can Skype us. I'm John F. Braun. Dave's Dave Hamilton. No, that's Tyler not. Pete. That's Twitter. That, that's oh, not I'm our, sorry. That's not our Skype names. That's our Twitter names. But, but sorry, Twitter but, names. That's right. You can, twi- you can follow us on Twitter and uh, talk to us on Twitter. Twitter.com slash John F. Braun, as he said. Twitter.com slash Dave Hamilton. Twitter.com slash Pilot Pete. I think he's in the air right yeah. now. Yeah. yeah. I think he Skype us at, uh, well, yeah, if you want to try to Skype us. Mac Geek Gab. And then, of course, we love those iTunes comments. iPhone Alley is Michael Johnston's home. He did not convert Tuesday's podcast. That's why it was late. Uh, he thought he would have time. He ran out of time. So on Thursday, late in the day, I believe, we, uh, we released the show, uh, just the MP3 to the AAC feed. He promises me that today's will be converted. Uh, you'll know more about that by the time you hear this, I guess. Uh, uh-huh. Cashfly.com is our hosting provider for all of the bandwidth that it takes to get this to you. Podcast Marketplace includes, and I forget what it was yes. from, from Audio Engine. I can't remember the, uh, the, 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 the device name, so I'm going to take a minute here. The AW2, the W2, that's right. The Audio Engine W2, Ultimate Wireless Adapter from Audio Engine. BB Edit version 9 from Barebones Software. PDF Pen version 4 from Smile on My Mac. And Notebook version 3 from Circus Ponies and your free audiobook from Audible at audiblepodcast.com slash MacGeekGab all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. Yep. <sighs> yep. It's Saturday. Have a great weekend, folks. Or I hope you had a great weekend. I hope you have a great week. Yeah, it's nice though. safe when you travel, John, and uh, you know, as always, don't get caught. Made up.